Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning, Mission Church. Uh, My name is Eric Baker, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mission Church. So thank you guys for coming, gathering with us, and worshiping with us. Um, As it has been read to you, this is the passage of Scripture that we're going to be covering here today. And on behalf of myself and those of us who call Mission Church our church home, thank you uh, for gathering and worshiping. You can take that black Bible if you don't have a Bible and use that during this worship experience. If you don't own a Bible, then that is our gift from um, this congregation, this body of believers to you to uh, read over, to dwell in, to um, devour um, that word in hopes that you will see more clearly the person and work of Jesus. Uh, We are in a sermon series called King and Kingdom, working through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're in uh, Matthew chapter 14, um, verses uh, 22 through the the rest of that chapter here, um, as it has been read to us. Just to kind of give us some quick context, if you were not here uh, last week, thank you. If you were not here uh, last week, um, if you will... Um, I encourage you to go and to listen to uh, that sermon. This is kind of part B um, to pick up from where we left off last week. Um, But Jesus was trying to get away from the multitudes. He ended up on uh, the side of a beach on a a place where he was going to a desolate place to, to pray and to probably teach his disciples even more things, his 12 disciples. And so he gets there, he, he's healing the sick, he is teaching them all day long. It becomes evening, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, hey man, we gotta, we gotta let these cats go. They, they need to go eat, they need to go home. It's Passover, it's a pretty big day for us. And we don't have any money, and we don't have any food to feed these people. And so Jesus asks them to go and feed the people. They can come up with nothing, uh, but uh, it appears to be about five loaves of bread, some fish. And uh, Jesus says, stand back, boys. I got one to show you here. And he multiplies uh, this meal, feeding the people until their bellies were satisfied. At the end of the day, uh, we learned that uh, this was ultimately about a discipleship moment um, for those men who he had called to go and to feed those people. What they could not do, Jesus can do. He makes disciples, he multiplies, and he is worthy of our worship. And so we learned much about the character and nature of Jesus last week, and so that's where we pick up uh, this week as well is that the disciples are standing there, all 12 of them. Um, They are just, you know, mesmerized by this miracle that is just taking place. And they stand there each holding a basket of their own bread as Jesus is reminding them that I will take care of you. I will provide for you. Now, John's account of this same story um, tells us Um, that at the end of this meal, and after the disciples have gathered all of the extras, that this crowd that is now believed to be between 5,000 and 20-something thousand people out in the middle of nowhere, that they are extremely excited that their bellies are full. They're extremely excited. And this man named Jesus, he can multiply the bread and, and the fish and that he can satisfy their bellies. They're so excited that this crowd quickly determines that they want to make Jesus their king. You have to wonder amongst those disciples, was this the moment? 
We've been following Jesus now for about two years, and we're wondering, man, is this the moment? Jesus has been saying he's the king. Jesus has been saying that he's got a kingdom. Now we, we're not just 12 guys and a teacher, but now we have the masses behind us. I mean, 20,000 people convinced of anything is a pretty powerful movement of people. And so the disciples, they're, they're wondering, thousands are claiming allegiance to King Jesus. I mean, this is it. I bet the, the disciples, I don't know if they're giving high fives during that time. Um, That's probably some cultural like no-no or something. But um, they're excited. They're like, man, look at all of these people. They're ready to declare that Jesus is the King. Notice, more than Jesus healing people, more than Jesus casting out demons, more than Jesus resurrecting a little girl from the dead, what ultimately got people excited about Jesus was his baking skills. It was about their bellies. It was about his ability to to multiply these things because, again, most of these people are peasants. They're from one meal to the next are just trying to get and figure out what, how are we going to eat next? What are we going to do to eat next? But our king can somehow magically create bread. But yet Jesus knows the true intentions of this crowd and once again determines that he must withdraw from them. I can imagine, again, that the disciples standing there, um, though they have been following Jesus, are still rather confused about what Jesus is about to do. They're thinking, man, Jesus is finally going to be the king that we've always wanted. And yet, what does verse 2 in Matthew tell us, verse 22 tell us in Matthew 14? Immediately, It's Matthew's favorite word. He says it over and over and over in his gospel. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, notice the word, immediately. So the Bible tells us it became instantaneous, like this was a hurried up experience. Something needs to happen here. He hears the chants of the people, King Jesus, King Jesus, let's make him king, let's make him king. And immediately Jesus goes into action. And what does he first do? He tells his disciples, no, the Bible says, circle this, he made the disciples get into the boat. He made them. He simply does not tell them. He made them get into the boat. And what is, what is Jesus doing here? It's quite possible that, the, again, that the disciples are joining in with the mob. They believe, man, this, this is it. Jesus is going to be king. We're going to get to govern. We're going to get to take over here. Um, they're being tempted to, to go along with the masses, to go along with the multitude. And, and maybe even Jesus himself is being tempted as he was with Satan, as Satan came to him where? In the wilderness to say, hey, man, you can be king now. I will give it to you now. And now he stands before a sea of people who are declaring that this Jesus is king. So maybe the disciples are tempted 
to worship him as king. Maybe Jesus himself is being tempted, but we know Jesus swiftly moves into action and says immediately and then makes them. Inside the Greek there, it's a very, that word made is a very strong word. Like, you ever had to make your kid get in the car? You know what I'm saying? You, we've all been to Walmarts, and we've seen that person making their kid get in the car, and we're like, mm, look at that, that, that parent. You know, the kid's like, you know, jerking all over the place, and you're, they're wrangling like a, you know, like a cat in a bag, trying to get them into the backseat of the vehicle, and you're like, I'll never do that as a parent. Liars. We've all done that, all right? Wrangling that kid, trying to make them get into the vehicle. Jesus makes them. It's strong, strong word. And so Jesus now sends them, and he dismisses the crowd, doesn't he? Now Jesus finally is alone. He's alone. There's something that's to be said here that I can't preach it right now on private time with God and public time with God. Jesus saw the great need of both of those things. But Jesus goes to the top of the mountain to pray. Now the Bible tells us here that the disciples are out now in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is where they're heading, probably about four to five miles wide. And verse 24 tells us that, that while they were a long way from land. So John's gospel kind of picks up from there and tells us that they are three to four miles out on this boat while Jesus is up on the mountain and he is praying. Now, we're told that the disciples here in this passage, what happens to them? Jesus goes up on the mountain, says, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. All right, so picture it. You're in a boat, sailboat, rowboat. You're heading in this direction, and yet there are mighty winds that are blowing in the opposite direction from where you are trying to go. It is bearing down on them. The wind is causing major, major waves to be consumed in the sea. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48 of this same story, he says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. All right? So you picture these men. There's, there's 12 of them in a boat, and man, they're rowing, and, and many of these guys, they're experienced fishermen. This wasn't their first time on a boat, okay? About half of them this is something very common to these people as they, they've been on boats with Jesus before, but they are also, this is their occupation is to do this. And yet the Bible is clear in its description that they're making headway painfully. Now, does anybody in this room like know how to canoe? I know there's a few people, myself, like, like really, like you know how to do it. Like if I say J-stroke, you know what that is, all right? I know there should be Casey and my wife because we were outdoor rec majors and we got graded on it, all right? So, but the rest of you, it, for those of, you, of us who know how to canoe, have you ever gotten in a canoe with somebody who doesn't know how to canoe? How does that go over? Huh? 
How does that happen? It's not a good experience. It's a miserable experience. It's a painful experience as you are trying to head in direction, but everything is coming against you. We aren't going anywhere. You ever watch these competition shows and people who don't know how to canoe or raft are on there and they just spin? They're not, they're not going anywhere. They're yelling at each other. And the more they yell at each other, guess what happens? The less and, and, and the shorter distance they go. This seems to be the picture that is taking place. They, they have been fighting these waves, brothers and sisters, for probably at this point up to seven hours. Again, it's four to five miles where they need to go. They're experienced fishermen, and they have been battling these waves and these winds all night long. They're going nowhere. Fast, at least. You know, the average person can walk 2.5 miles per hour. There's your useless information for the day. And these brothers are on a boat, 12 of them. And John's gospel tells us that they are in the middle of the night after going for seven hours. They are only three miles in this journey of four to five miles. Anybody frustrated? All right? We're the family that drives to Florida at night. All right? Because it's called melatonin and sleep. Okay? Because if you've ever been in a situation with children and you're trying to get someone and there's all these chiefs and, and, and not enough Indians, man, it is a miserable place to travel in that situation. And this is what is taking place on this boat with these guys. The Bible tells us in verse 25 here that they were in the fourth watch of the night. Romans would divide up their evenings like this. Three hour uh, sections from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So this was, the Bible tells us, the fourth watch. So this is sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning. And these brothers have been row, row, rowing your, bo your boat all night long and have barely gotten anywhere. Man, they had seen wind before. They had seen storms. This is not the same kind of wind and storm that Jesus calms when he is with them in the boat, but this is ex extremely gale force winds that are blowing in the opposite direction. Man, I, I would love to know what it's like to peer into that boat, wouldn't you? I would love to hear the cuss words that are probably rolling out of Peter's mouth as he's telling young John, the, probably the youngest disciple, how to do it, right? Man, I've been doing this a long time. I'm a fisherman, blah, blah, blah. John, do this, right? You have to wonder what are the, the questions that are being raised. Mark's gospel tells us that they did not understand what was happening with the loaves and the fish. It even tells us in Mark's parallel of this story that their hearts are hardened. So Jesus, get the picture, masses of people, King Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus. And the guys are like, yeah, King Jesus, let's do this, Jesus. And Jesus is like, get in the boat. Puts him into the boat. He dismisses this crowd, and these fellas are now in this boat, and they have no idea. All they've got are these baskets of bread that Jesus has just given them, and he sends the crowd away and sends them to go get in a boat. Man, what, what about the frustration the questions that would have risen in that, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to imagine. 
I imagine when I'm going, man, like, how did, how did Jesus pack all that bread under his robe and us never know it, right? <laughs> you have to say, like, thanks, Jesus. <coughs> man, I'm going to get choked. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, you've got to ask the question, like, what, what happens if, um, thanks, Jesus, you, you know, you gave me a whole basket of bread, and now it's soggy. What am I going to do with this? You know, you, there, there's the questions of, man, why are we doing this? Let, let's, let's turn this boat around. Man, that's a good brother-in-law right there. Thank you. All the rest of you are sinners and should repent for watching a man choke and doing nothing about it. Grace and peace. Oh, okay, 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 gotcha, gotcha. All right, so um, we, we see this picture of, man, wh- why are we doing this? The wind is going this way, man. Let's, let's turn this big boat around. Let's go back to the beach, and hey, Jesus, when it's calm in the morning and you're done praying for hours, then we'll go across, and we'll be there at the exact same time. Man, they become cynical. They're being critical. Man, they're tired. They're confused. Where is Jesus? Think about this. Jesus dismisses the crowd with their bellies full to go to the comforts of home. But he sends his disciples, his quasi-faithful followers, to get in a boat and fight the wind all night long. In the few hours before dawn, Jesus comes to them in verse 24. He is walking on water. But when his disciples saw him, the Bible says that they were terrified. They were scared. They said, man, it's it's a ghost. Uh, The Greek word is where we get the word phantom. It's It's a phantom. Look, it's out in the middle of the water. See, the Bible never tells us in this passage that these fishermen really got scared of the waves and wind. Um, What they got scared of was what they believed to be a ghost walking on this water. Let's read it, verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, it's a phantom. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Afraid, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come over to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So we, we get this picture here of, again, of what is Jesus trying to accomplish. And so this is the secondary. I'm going to give you the primary point of this passage in a second. But this is the secondary point. It's very familiar to what we saw last week. And that is this, is that Jesus makes disciples. Jesus makes disciples, and then he wants them to go and make make more disciples. So this picture that we see here is ultimately, or or secondarily, is about disciple making. 
Jesus is wanting to paint this picture, possibly even that those 12 men represent a good picture of the church or of other followers of Jesus or even us. A lot of times people who are preaching this passage, and I've probably even made the mistake as well, when they come to this passage, the name or the title of this sermon will be, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. And we're going to spend a lot of time on Peter walking on the water. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is wanting to do something more than even that, and we will look at that in just a second. Jesus is about disciple-making. He's about making students. He is about making followers, people who can imitate Him. I don't believe that this was just toward Peter, but I believe that it was Jesus teaching them all something. See, brothers and sisters, that we have covered this before in our time together. When we talk about disciple making, we are talking about an imitator. Discipling, if you are a disciple, you are all disciples of something. It's not a matter of what you are a disciple of. Excuse me, it's not a matter if you are or are not a disciple. It is a matter of what or who you are a disciple of. Each of you are imitating something. Each of us are a student of something. Each of us kind of have characteristics or, or, or followings uh, of someone or something. And so Jesus is ultimately saying, man, if you want to know the keys to life and death, if you want to know the keys to reconciliation with God, then what I want out of my disciples after I save them is I'm going to sanctify their lives. I'm going to chip away everything that does not look like me because they are my physical representation and, and reflection on this earth. I want my disciples to imitate me at all costs. See, brothers and sisters, this picture that we see here of Peter getting out on the boat and coming to Jesus, as miraculous as it was, it had nothing to ultimately do with any power that Peter had within himself. It had something to do with the man who was on the water, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to be like me. If I can do this, you can do this. You can do this. The same spirit, the same God that I am is the same God that is within you. He is building confidence amongst his disciples as they are here to imitate me. But as we have all said, Peter, he got distracted. Do you ever get distracted? you ever get distracted in your relationship with Jesus? Do you ever get kind of confused? Do you ever in your pursuit of, of Jesus, get really consumed with other things other than Jesus? What about in good times? What about in bad times? What about in difficult times? What about in storms? All of these sorts of things. And I, I get this picture in that we had this dialogue, yes, between Peter and Jesus, where, where, Jesus or where Peter says, Lord, save me, because why? He begins to look at the wind. He begins to look at the waves. He begins to sink. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, but immediately cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand. And pulls him to himself and says, oh, ye of oh, you of little faith. I don't believe that Jesus is rebuking Peter here. Because Peter did have faith. He did have faith. But he 
took his eyes off the pursuit of Christ to look at the troubles around him. Jesus is doing something really important here. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie where um, you've got two people and, it, and maybe it's a, a drawbridge or, or maybe somebody's fallen off a cliff and they've lowered down the rope and what does the guy that's up on top always say? He, he looks down at the person and he says, keep your eyes on me. Look at me. Don't look down. Look at me. Your security is in me. Who you need to imitate is me and me. Don't, don't look at the waves, don't look at the wind, but, but Peter, but you, but brother, but sister, look at me. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. The, the waves are still crashing in around them. The, 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 the very wind is still blowing, but Jesus looks at this man. He reaches down, he picks him back up. They walk still on the water back to the boat, but, but this is a teaching moment for Peter. All of this boat scenario has once again been a test. It's been a test. Jesus dismisses the crowd, their bellies full, the comforts of home, and sends his disciples where? Straight into a storm to battle it all night long. Why? Because discipleship, following Jesus, will get you in trouble. But it will not get you in any less trouble. Or there is a, a greater trouble that is here. And it's the trouble of not following Jesus. I don't know about you, but man, sometimes as we're going to sing here after our gathering, uh, or after the sermon this morning, is that, that there are often times where our, we feel as though our faith is failing. Do we not? What about when things aren't going just right? What about when the wind is blowing? Brothers and sisters, that wind that's blowing against you is not always sin, Satan, and death. Sometimes it is the refining wind of the glory of God that God is ultimately trying to do something in your life. And the test is, is will you keep your eyes and your faith on the person and work of Jesus, or will you succumb to the abyss? During Old Testament times, the sea was a very scary thing. It represents death. Lots of people die in the ocean. It was not a matter of entertainment. You wouldn't take your kids out to teach them swimming lessons. Even some of our brothers and sisters who live in foreign countries who are believers in Jesus, when you start talking to them about water, there is still within them this great fear of the depths of the abyss. Man, maybe you're not on physical water today. But the ground upon which you stand is shaky. And you feel as though your faith will fail quickly this morning. You need to understand this. That Jesus will hold you fast. That Jesus will come to you in the midst of that darkness. That He will come to you in the, the midst of that darkness. That He will come to you as though the waves are beating against your very life, against your community's life, against your church's life. As, as many times being a Christian and being a part of the church, it can be painfully slow the way in which God has called us to go. But it is the faithful thing to do. Why? Because He will hold us together. He will 
hold us fast if we will only look to Him. See, this story is not ultimately about Peter walking upon water. It's about something much greater. Even the other parallel Gospels do not even mention Peter walking on the water at all. They just talk about Jesus walking on the water. While these men fight against the wind and the waves, Jesus appeared and was far off. He was on the mountain. They're three miles out in the middle of the sea. But I want, I want to paint a picture of your God here this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand the magnitude and the greatness of who your God is that you serve. We here at Mission are here to declare and to worship that God. Man, we want to have a, a big understanding of who God is, who Jesus is. So Jesus is, is up on the mountain. He is three miles. Yet the Bible says, even though while he is up there, what does he see? them on the boat. See, they believe that Jesus was far and he was away, but he had not departed from them. See, this Jesus, this God, imagine this picture for a moment, that Jesus is the very one that sends them into the, the very storm and into the wind. He is the conductor that is orchestrating that wind. He is playing the tune of every one of those water molecules and is causing its perfect landing on each side of that boat. Why is simultaneously on top of a mountain interceding for His people. While simultaneously is, is holding every star perfectly in its place. The, the, the very God, while He is praying on this mountain, is the one that is in what we now call America, and these people didn't even know it existed, but is causing a leaf to flutter at the perfect rhythm according to His music. And no one had even seen the tree yet. This is the God, the, the picture, the ultimate thing that we are here to see in this passage is not Peter walking on the water and that, that, that you know, if you want to have some faith, you got to get out of the boat. Man, that is not the, the penultimate truth of this passage. The, tri the, the ultimate truth of this passage is that through this test, Jesus reveals the state of our maturity, but ultimately is revealing something about his very character and his nature. Man, going through trials and neglecting intense prayer, scripture reading, Christian community, man, it will cause you and I to drift from God and from Jesus being at the center. It will also cause a major uh, distortion of His character. So Jesus in the discipling moment is once again saying, look here, I, I appear to be far off, and yet I see you. I know that it is painstakingly difficult that you are rowing against the wind, that all the odds are against you. But I'm here. 
I am here. I am, I am with you. In the book of Exodus, one of my favorite stories is obviously Moses in front of the burning bush. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, and this is, again, he's, he's about to set his captives free through the leading of Moses by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we had this kind of dialogue that takes place. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Because again, in, in Egypt right now, there's a plethora of gods. What shall I say then? And then God, God Almighty, speaks to a man, speaks to his servant, speaks to Moses, and this is what he says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say, to, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So what is the name of God? I am who I am. In Hebrew, this broken down literally means that I will be what I will be. Our God is be. He exists. God's name is, is more than an affirmation uh, excuse me, it's more than a label, but God's very name, I am that I am, I will be what I will be, is, is more than a label. It is an affirmation of his very character, that he is uniquely unique, that he is unchanging, that he is constant, that he is unending, that he is always present. He is God. That's why we call him holy. He is set apart. There is none like him. And then way back in the Old Testament, God says his name. And he says, I am. Matthew 14, 26. Get this. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And he said, they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, get this, circle this in your own Bibles, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. What does Jesus say here? He says, I am not a ghost. I am. He's referencing maybe even Job chapter 9, verse 8, who's, that says, Who tramples down the waves of the sea, or who makes the waves hush, like in Psalm 107. The key phrase here of this entire passage is the direct declaration. It's not even the walking on the water of Jesus or of Peter. It is the declaration that Jesus makes when they say, Who is this? Is it a ghost? And what does Jesus say actually in the language? Jesus declares in this moment, in the Gospel of Matthew, I am that I am. I am be. I have existed. I have always existed. I am God. Literally, it's translated, don't fear. I am here. I am here. In the Greek term where it says I right there, it's, it's the word emi. It literally means to be. 
He exists. Don't ever let anyone in this world tell you that Jesus never declared to be God because he did it over and over and over and over and over again. And the key passage, and I'm, I'm going to show you why this is the key part of this passage in just a second. The key of this entire section is, is not the, us getting wrapping our mind around somebody walking on water. Even if Peter didn't, Jesus did. How does that work? But the, the key thing here is understanding who's on the water. And it is God. It is God. God, Jesus declaring, I am that I am. I am. I will be what I will be. It is not a ghost. It is not a phantom. It is God. And I not only saw you up there, but I saw your distress and I have come to you because I am God. The Gospel of John loves these sorts of statements, these I am statements of Jesus. There are these absolute I am statements, and all of these are in John. Um, one of them is about this story, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. In John chapter 8, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. John 8, 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, and you will know that I am He. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, I am. John 18, 5, uh, then He answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, I am He. There are also metaphorical I am statements. I am the bread of life. These are all in John as well. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. All of these situations, all of this experience is to come down to this one moment. I believe that Jesus knew it for the foundations of the world that this very scene was going to take place, that he was going to send out those disciples, that he was going to cause those winds to blow, and at the right time, in the crack of dawn, at the breaking of dawn, he was going to walk out there in the middle of them and declare, as they are thinking that he is a ghost, that he is God. He's God. In Isaiah 43, it says this, verses 1 through 3, But now, thus says the Lord, and think about this, this is thousands of years before Jesus is doing this, But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, they shall not, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And if it doesn't get you excited this morning that we are talking about the same God this many years later, and that the, the main driver and point is the person and working of God, I want, to, I want to extend to you with all the love that I possibly can. You do not know this God. Because He is ultimate. He is ultimate. God does not always remove us from our difficulties, but what God does do is He shows up in the middle of them to declare something about Himself. And that's what He's doing for them, and that is what He is doing for us. Jesus is declaring to them, you are not abandoned. I am with you. God is 
with you. Brothers and sisters, the, the greatest episode is not Peter getting out of the boat. The greatest episode in this story is God getting into theirs. That's the picture. That's the ultimate. It's not trying to figure out all the mysterious things. No, it is the ultimate thing is that their very God, the God of all creation, the God of all the universe, has not abandoned them, that Jesus is with them. What he for promised in those baskets, I'm going to take care of you, I will provide for you, in just a few short hours had already forgotten. Sound familiar? And we have to be reminded over and over and over and over, I am is with you. I am the greatest thing is that Jesus gets into their boat. He gets into their boat. If you're a younger person like me, then Lou Giglio wrote this book and he has a sermon about it as well. And he has this quote inside the book that I read, I think as a college student. Um, and it, it says this, it says, I am not, but he knows my name. I am not, but he has pursued me in love. I am not, but he has purchased and redeemed me. I am not, but have been invited into this story. I am not, but I know the creator of the universe. I am not, but I know I am. That's what Jesus wants them to get. That's what Jesus wants you and I to get. We will often pray here, God, I am not but you are. When you send this boat, this church, in a direction, and it appears as though the, the multitudes of culture are weighing against it, man, it'd be really easy. Let's just steer this ship. Let's become seeker-sensitive. Let's have fireworks, right? I can get some skinny jeans, all right? I can get tattoos right here so I look really cool when I go like this, all right? Want to do my magic, my raining fingers? Um, I mean... Let's, let's get hip. Let's get cool, right? Let, let's, let's do this. And what does God remind us? Man, be faithful. Stay on course, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, and even though you don't know what I'm doing. Guess what? I, you are not God, but He is. He is God. Get that this morning. And may it fill your hearts with joy. So what is our application for this passage. Thanks for asking. It says this, verse 33. Again, O ye of live faith, and when they came into the boat, or when he came into the boat, they came into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 33, and those in the boat, what did they do? Say it. Worshipped. Okay, but haven't they worshipped Jesus before? Uh, kind of. Something different happens here. What are they saying? Let's read it together. One, two, three. Truly, you are the Son of God. They had never done that before. Do you know the only other time that we see this in the Gospel of Matthew? The only other time that we see this early on in the books is from a demonic, uh, it's from a demon. So these demons, they're saying, this Jesus, I mean, the disciples are standing around, they're like, I have no idea. This is blasphemous what these demons are saying. The demons are saying, this Jesus, he is the Son of God. You know, don't punish us, don't cast us into the abyss, right? And, and, and the disciples never catch on to that. For all of these chapters that we've been going through, they've never caught on to that until this 
very moment. Why? Because Jesus declared he was God. He declared that he was the, the, the author and the finisher of their faith. He says here that they worshipped him. Do you understand that this is punishable by death for them to be worshipping a man? What is the number one commandment? Have no other gods before me. Devote yourself to no one else but God, to Yahweh, to I am, the great I am. Worship him and him alone. And yet now these faithful, once devout Jews have turned their attention not simply away from God, but God in the flesh who's in their boat, who is in their midst as they're wrestling with all of this, their confusion, their hardened hearts. Now leave them. Why? Because they realize who God is in the boat with them. They are worshiping him over and over and over. Do they get it all? No. We're going to see lots more mistakes. Lots more. Do they have perfect faith still? Nope. Oh, the same Peter, what's he do? Deny Jesus. Everybody abandons him. But they begin to understand that this Jesus, though we don't understand everything that he is doing, we can worship him and not blaspheme God. Why? Because this Jesus is God. He is God. This all happens in private. Let's look what happens. And I'm done. Turn with me. Flip in your Bibles. The Gospel of John. This is where we ended up last week in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Chapter 6. I didn't read this passage. This tells the exact same story. I, I finished it with the same section last week or an earlier section in John chapter 6 where Jesus says, I'm the bread. And he clears that, that whole mess. But look at verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, so Jesus has just said, if you want to really eat bread, then you've got to eat me. He's saying you've got to be satisfied on me, not on the things of this earth. All right? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do not take offense at this. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the Spirit and the life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew the beginning, those who did not believe and those who would betray him. And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Listen to Peter. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know, get this powerful statement, that you are the Holy One of God. Total difference. Total difference. They go from wanting to join the crowds to exalt him as king because he fills their bellies to Jesus saying some random statement about eating his body and drinking his blood and them sticking it out. Why? Because of an episode that only a small, got to, a small group got to see now has public ramifications because they know him as God. They worship him as God. God. Man, I love God's Word. So fitting. 
for them, and it is so fitting for us. Brothers and sisters, simply, do you worship Jesus? Do you worship Him as God? Do you worship Him as God? Do we as a church worship Him as God? Do we stay on course even when it appears to be easier to go in the direction of the current? You feel like God doesn't see what you're doing because He's not physically tangible, right? What do we learn? He sees you. And He's coming. As He came off that mountain to those men, He will one day come in the clouds of glory for His church that have been battling in the wind for thousands of years. Are you in the boat that Jesus is getting in? Or will you be cast out and sent home like the weeds? That day is coming. Know Jesus. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your cultural Christianity. Turn from your nominal Christianity. Stop professing in someone whom you do not really know. And come to Him today in repentance and humility at the reality and the condition of your heart and worship Jesus. Let's pray. Lord.